You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alright guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. And this week we've got kind of an interesting one. Uh, we've yeah. been preaching about the sky is falling, magic is dying for... Since episode one? Yeah, I was going to say five years. Five yeah, years. Five, five years now. Uh, so, finally, what are we going to do? Yeah. When magic dies, what is the game we go to? What is the fringe game, one of the big three, whatever? What do we go to? What does success look like in that instance, and why is it successful, or why do we think it will be a successful pivot? Mm -hmm. So to start that, we have to start from the beginning, right and that is how a new game comes to be. So at the LGS, your rep at the distributor will send you an email that says, hey, here's an exciting new game from Richard Garfield, and it's called Soul Forge, and it is better designed than any other game Richard Garfield has ever made, but you idiots are still playing Magic the Gathering. Chunk. Buy this game instead. Or here's a new Bandai Namco game mm -hmm. because it's been two years since the last one, so we're abandoning that one for this hot new toy that, guess what, we're going to abandon again in two years. Or whatever the case is. You mm -hmm. get that they tell you a little bit about the mechanics of the game. They tell you why you should buy it. They give you the promos they're going to give you if you do buy the product. And it goes from there. At least that is on the LGS side. Yes. Uh, the distro side is going to be really similar. It's going to basically be, from my understanding, a laundry list of options that you can choose from at the distro level with some description. And you're still going to have your reps at each one of the distros you're going to work with, maybe multiple. And they'll reach out. they make their contact. You might, you know, if you see something on the list you're interested in, I'm sure you can inquire about it. But for the, for the most part, it's going to be the same. But I don't remember getting the sales pitch. That's something you have to do on your own. And you have to figure out if you want to carry it. Oftentimes, you might be able to get, like, a little bit of a, an intro or a teaser, kind of like an LGS would from a, like, an LGS might get the starter decks, but a, a vendor is going to get some of the actual sealed product to push on the website and just kind of tow their water in and not have to commit to the same kind of um, numbers that you would normally for a full-fledged game in a full uh, at a full set, right? So you're not going to have to buy the quantity of card fight vanguard when you jump in the first time you're going to be able to kind of pick and choose what you want a little bit more everybody's kind of coming in Distro's also towing the water too they're not really sure if the vendors are going to buy in so yeah. from a numbers perspective i don't know what that looks like as well obviously you can't just buy full aloe if you're like holy crap i've been waiting for this thing forever dragon ball super is going to blow the doors off this bitch yeah like, you can't just buy all their allocation they have what they have and you're going to get a small amount so that's kind of your, your trial run as well so it is very similar but it's a, a little less sales pitchy and a little more i want to say sciencey from yeah. the vendor perspective because you just do like a ton of spreadsheet work back and forth like here's what i want here's my pizza men um, you know my, my pizza mini choices to have at it and it, it it's it's pretty clear cut now moving on from there we mentioned that you know this is going to be how we kind of measure success about a game and i'm going to touch on this from two perspectives the vendor and the lgs and i have very different meanings or ideas of success defined for both of these. So from a vendor perspective, it's a pretty wide definition. I wanna know what game will continuously sell well enough that I can dedicate the resources to stocking it 
sealed and singles and those resources aren't just my warehouse employees that are actually going to to bust product yeah. and list it it's going to be the people that have to go through and price the singles that are going to have to create the buy list i have to make sure there's enough velocity which means <clears throat> i'm most likely going to be selling sealed for a while so the whatever boxes you want to structure boxes draft boxes whatever they've got and any of the immediate decks that you can get have to sell well before i even start busting them unless i know this game is just super hype like i mentioned the, the dragon ball dragon ball super i mentioned up top right yeah super duper hype but when hasbro pumped out the transformers game and they just kind of like hand waved the game out and OP was supposed to never come, yeah, I would not dedicate the same amount of resources to that that I would something like Super, that I know people have no. been clamoring for since the last card game, since Naruto. And I'm going to dedicate enough resources as I can to just blow the doors off that. Now, from the LGS side of things, it's a little bit different. My measure of success there is really about butts in seats that the game continuously provides. I'm gonna be looking for a game that brings people into my store and my ecosystem, creating the opportunity for sales of everything from snacks to sealed, right? I want a game that just gets people in my store and I want a game that kind of keeps people in my store. If there's a tournament option for that, fantastic. And I'm going to try and leverage that more than anything else. So to go back to the previous two examples, Dragon Ball Super, yes, because there is immediately an OP system. Transformers poop i might buy a, a display or two of transformers just to put out on the counter because there's no yep. op or maybe on the back shelf but i'm not really going to support it with case space i don't care dragon ball super however if i have case space yeah we're cracking that we're listing singles everything because we can have a tournament series and we're just going to start firing them out of the blue and we're going to start with the immediate structure decks. We're going to get people in store to learn to play this game and we're going to support it at a foundational level and build on top of that because we can, because that ecosystem exists. That's my definition of success for an LGS and I know that's a lot different than what your expectations are going to be, but when we were looking to set up our small footprint LGS, that's what we wanted. We wanted items that brought people into the store and kept them there for a while and browsing obviously you have to have board games right but whatever who cares those can just sit in the corner and rot now to dig a little deeper as a vendor if i somehow was not into pokemon already that's where i would begin my shift so i'm yeah. going to start out by buying sealed for the new product and putting putting up a buy list of older Pokemon based on market prices from a place like Troll and Toad and TCG Player. Pika Stocks is essentially TCG Player market data, so I can rely on that. Troll and Toad, as far as I know, is still one of the largest vendors of Pokemon, of Pokemon cards that might move over to TCG Player now that they gobbled up Channel and Binder because that channel had the content. I'd figure that one out. But that's the bookends that I'm interested in. The middle era of the game is kind of a dead zone, quote unquote, because there's really no extended or modern format. So once cards rotate out, they're gone. I don't care about it because I can backfill that in time as necessary, but nothing seems to be able to stop Pokemon from performing as a long tail category. So it's just gonna live on forever. The more I investigate, I'm going to find that out. It's just going to be this long-running category. I can support everything I need to. I can do my little U-curve of really supporting the old stuff. Nothing in the middle besides some promos. And cut back up on the other end and support standard. 
And the more I dig in, I'm going to find out that it's not just nostalgia that powers this, but as we have seen over time, Nintendo is keen on targeting that which boosts all levels of the product. So that's everything. That's content creators, that's OP, and they're going to do this until the franchise ends. You can count on continuous support from the top level. That is super important to me at a vendor. Yeah. A game that isn't really supported by the by the manufacturer, that just the manufacturer just keeps kind of kicking shit out the door, not terribly interested. In. That's why I don't like LCGs, living card games. They're not really supported by the manufacturer. They just kind of fire hose you with content and expect to glom on. Nintendo supports everything. Yep. The digital games, the physical games, content creators, even at their events, they split juniors and seniors. It's fantastic. Uh, big fan, and yeah. I think that that's one area will will overlap when I get to my version of LGS as well. Yep, and to touch a little bit more on tournament play, it's huge. It's not an afterthought. Nintendo doesn't treat this, or the Pokemon company, I should say. I should have been saying it all along. Yeah. doesn't treat this with kid gloves. They're very serious about it, and it's thriving. There, there's finally enough push between the digital client and the physical client to get content creators writing articles, to get people streaming this stuff. It is blowing up, and that's where I would pivot. Now, as an LGS, I don't think I'd look at Pokemon from a butts and seats perspective because that's very difficult. You can get yeah. like one night out of that, and it's going to be a lot of kids, and that's not a problem, but kids don't have a lot of money. So it's very difficult for me to support that U-shaped curve that I want because there's a lot of money on the far end on the Watsi era Pokemon. And a lot of the new cards come out wicked expensive like Yu-Gi-Oh because they're immediately four of staples, two of staples, whatever. Like V-Maxes can be insane. It is very difficult to move that product from what I've seen at an LGS to a game that primarily caters to kids. Yeah. I instead, as an LGS, would finally be taking a hard look at Flesh and Blood as another quote-unquote tournament-first game to carry. Now that we did to appear to be out of the speculators are supporting this game, it's going <laughs> to rot on the vine phase of fab, I'm looking to start to pull my locals and bringing in starter product along a alongside a small amount of sealed product i don't know how well just the unlimited stuff sells now and i'm fairly naive about what the product slate looks like so i'd start there i'd start with the newest sets and build backwards as i build my understanding of an lgs of that game is it a game like Yu-Gi-Oh, where everything is just going to be legal forever no i don't think so i think there might have been a rotation or one's coming up but that's investigation that i'll do to cater to my players now, watching the game unfold and evolve, solving some of the problems that Magic has with stale metagames like the Living Legend system, and growing a robust tournament structure with coverage at large events like DreamHack, really shows that I should be ready to test the waters on this game. There are enough eyes on this, there's enough coverage, there's just enough everything going on at the game. We're past the part where it seemed kind of like an ill-fitting game for a lot of players. And the reason I want a game that puts butts in seats, again, is to keep foot traffic high in the store, creating more sales opportunity across multiple verticals within the store and online. It keeps the store looking busy. 
it helps create buzz, and it makes it easier to market to a wider audience online that might share events and help bring in new players and customers. Word of mouth marketing is not only free, but also some of the most powerful marketing you can have. And barring that, having two players like you and I playing at the same store, I play fab, you don't. I'm like, dude, you got to check this out. The store is great. Come down, check out this game. There's a game day style thing going on. That's going to be a lot more powerful than if you just walk by like a poster downtown or in a mall or something like that. You know, I like to think we're friends. I hung out with your cats. I think you'd try. If I was like, come on down, try this game. Absolutely. I think you would enjoy it. I think that gives it more weight. For sure. So that's what Uh, I'm looking at as a vendor and an LGS. And I think it's important, too, that like that word of mouth is it doesn't necessarily need to be someone that you're friends with. Right. Because when you see someone at an LGS playing a game, you already have something in common. You already know, one, we probably both frequent this place. Two, we probably play the games here or one of the games. And you know what? It's not that hard to be like, hey, I know you play this game. You should check this one out. It's got some pretty cool features to it and try to relate it back to that game. Yes. And that then spreads to, okay, well, I don't always go to this shop, but I showed up for this one. Now I'm going to go to my normal shop. And you know what I'm going to do? Hey, this other store, I had this game. I tried it out. It looks great. And it spreads a lot faster that way. So you're absolutely right that that word of mouth is important. For me, I'm looking strictly from the LGS side. And to me, it's twofold. Okay. Uh, I'm looking for, as you said, a game that can keep asses in seats. Uh, And I am looking for, two, a game that pays my bills. Mm. Uh, Because Magic historically was very good at paying bills yes not so much anymore that's why we had that lovely fireside chat today where wizards of the coast was literally the dog on fire this is fine meme uh nothing is wrong with anything everything is perfect they're not overprinting. it's all okay well from that perspective i actually have two games as well uh pokemon as you touched on is the other one is or is one of them and that's because look You know, those kids may not have much money, but you know what they don't care about? The economy. They'll still spend their $20 every single week coming in and buying packs. And this is where location is very important. Because if you're not in an area with a lot of kids, you may not be able to pivot into Pokemon. May not be something you can do just because of your client profile. Important to know that. So what I would get into, backing on to the point of needing something that pays bills and keeps asses in seats right now is actually one piece uh this game is just very good it's it its own has game? It, it's its own game oh uh it has an ip with a bunch of content still coming out yes an absurdly loyal fan base to both the manga and the anime and it has the perk of having waifus who are disproportionately sized which of course sells and pays bills uh, it is also at this point, despite all of the boxes and everything that have been opened, still a TCG where, as of right now, you can crack a box as an LGS and make money, huh. which doesn't happen very often, no. and that's because of the alt arts that are in the set, similar to Digimon. Uh, gameplay is very good, IP again, lots of liquidity there, and most importantly, the crossover to general nerddom. Mm-hmm 
because of the people that are just fans of One Piece that may not know about this game, but they walk in your store because they won a board game or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, I love the One Piece manga. I will never play this card game, but I'll buy some of the cards because I like the art. Yes. Because yeah. it's still all done by the art team. Uh, and this is... The One Piece art team? The One Piece art team, oh. yeah. It's all still same guys, everything. Okay. Which is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bandai has shown a commitment in the past to all of their games for at least two years, uh, which means that hopefully by the time One Piece dies, the economy will be back in an upswing. Mm -hmm. The other nice thing is that this actually gives you kind of a leg up because the shows that are difficult to get into are primarily TCG shows. If you're in LGS and you want to start expanding, the shows that are easy to get into are anime shows. They're pop culture shows. Yeah. And this is where One Piece can really give you a leg up and give you access to a new venue. Because, hey, I have a product I know I can bring and it will sell. Mm -hmm. I may incidentally sell some Magic or Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon, but I guarantee you, you show up to one of these shows with some One Piece, One Piece will sell. Uh, and this is one of those things where maybe nobody else in the area is in on it and you want to be the store, jump on it right away. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes that is the life and death of an LGS when we talked about the solicitations up top. Hey, is this something we think we can sell? Do we want to go deep on it, like you mentioned? Yeah. Or do we just want to dabble and just have it for inventory completion's sake? Uh, One Piece is something that I think hits all of those. Yeah. And the tournaments so far have had good turnout, anecdotally. Uh, GalaxyCon last weekend, they had over 100 people for a release tournament for the card game uh it's the new hotness yeah yeah and it's going to be perpetual hotness i mean if anyone listening here knows someone that watches or reads one piece how often do they like ask them how long they've been doing it for mm -hmm. ask them when they started how often they rewatch how often they reread whatever the case may be yeah yeah they're avid they're rabid they're just like pokemon fans with a little bit more disposable income or like Gen 1 Naruto fans. Yeah, like, exactly. Gen 1 Naruto fans that were just, they didn't mind running around high school arms behind their back because it was cool. That's what this is. Yeah. You know, so, someone has a straw pirate hat crew or straw hat pirate crew out there, and it's them and their five best friends. And they're going to split a whole case. And they're not going to care because you know what's in there? An alt art shanks with manga on it that's like $500 for no reason. <laughs> cool yeah no i i like wives wars was this really interesting idea that was if you're not familiar if you know what the versus system was which is just this agnostic game system that you could plug that you could reskin effectively with different yeah. comic properties in the u.s uh i don't know who produced it and maybe konami and i don't know if it's still going or not but it basically it is. is just an agnostic combat system, and they plugged a ton of anime from the time on it. Sword Art Online was like one of the first releases, and they did it Ruby's two or three more on times. There. Yep. Yeah, there's a ton. And I always wondered why they stuck with some of these, not even surface level ones. They're like some of the most obvious ones, but never dove a little deeper. I think they might have gone to Attack on Titan, or maybe that was floating. Yeah. So that was like the last time anybody actually asked for Wives Wars. But it sounds like we're finally branching out from that game where 
the more powerful IPs are going to get their own systems so they can play properly, so they can be yep. a little more fun and entertaining. And if one survives and it doesn't set it, it doesn't self-emulate like the original Dragon Ball card game or the original Naruto card game, Oof, then yeah, yeah, it makes sense to look at this one and then the next one because the games, while they were printed or popular, were white hot enough to start yeah. carrying it. It's not just going to immediately tank like those other two when the Versus system did. The Versus system tanked from power creep. That's a different story. The other two games yeah. just kind of fell into obscurity and i think terrible rule sets yeah okay so you got one piece what else uh so the other one that i think is worth getting into is as you mentioned uh fab so obviously turnout can be kind of an issue uh with new games like this and it still has a little bit of the stigma of oh but it's so expensive mm -hmm. well it's really not anymore yeah Unless you want your cold foils, your ultimate rarity chasers. Uh, the rule set is very good. Mm -hmm. The gameplay is very quick. Yes. Which is one of the most important things, because I don't know if any of you remember when Top was legal in Legacy, but I can't tell you how many times we were sitting around for 30 minutes after a fucking round because some idiot didn't know how to Top. Yep. You don't have to worry about Your extra turns are untimed and you could literally waste years of people's lives cumulatively. Why? Uh, Fab avoids all that. It also does have those chase rares. So there is a chance that you may get one in and it's just a payday for you. Mm -hmm. Someone comes in. Hey, look, you're my LGS. 50%. Cool. I just made a pretty decent chunk of money on that right away. Yeah. Listed on eBay, listed on TCG know a guy whatever the case may be and that just provides you with a chance for a very good windfall not to mention uh the comp the company that publishes that game has been incredibly receptive to feedback from people they want to be involved with the lgs's they want their feedback on what works and what doesn't that's no other company does that no. i wizards used to years ago but they don't anymore because again this is fine mm-hmm uh, and then besides that, obviously you have Pokemon. And this is something that you kind of touched on earlier uh, and I touched on as well. Pokemon has this thing where it's kind of cyclical. Every six to seven years, a new generation of Pokemon releases, such as Scarlet and Violet, and you see a sudden surge yeah. in the prices on the cards. And following this cycle as an LGS is fairly easy. And you can get in on it and know, all right, well, let's start stocking up because we're about to hit a surge. And that lets you plan a little bit for, all right, we have a cushion coming up mm -hmm. because this stuff is going to hit its cycle. And we harp about this with magic all the time, how the financial aspects are cyclical. Pokemon's the same way. So if you're used to planning around a kind of cycle with magic, you can just take that skill set and drop it into Pokemon. And that makes it a lot easier for an LGS. So the one piece is the new one fab is the kind of established one and even outside of magic dying i would tell every single lgs and i'm sure you would tell every vendor if you're not in pokemon you need to be yep it's just free money it is hey, even if you're not putting your singles in your store you can still be moving the product online at, at a pretty decent rate and yeah there's no reason not to if if anything's going to push you to open up that avenue for income 
it should literally be Pokemon and then probably Fab. Yep. Number two. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just way too easy. Yep. Uh, ab- absolutely. I like the idea of, of the, the cycle. It's not something that I thought of when I was doing my write-up, and we I mentioned this before the cast, because for me, this kind of hits in, like, I don't even think of it like early releases, because I felt like they were just chain-releasing them, or they did every now and again. They'll, they'll go a couple of years, they'll go silent, then you'll hit the cycle of six seven is like bang 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 but i didn't realize that was like the cycle of six or seven the only thing that kind of caught me was the generation of kids that grew up with pokemon you and i now have our own kids and this is officially a second generation now over the last couple of years getting into pokemon it's not just people that found it on their own introduced it some other way this is just kind of like i don't want to call it like generational like wealth or understanding but it's really kind of what it is like i i grew up with this they're really cute i can show it to the kid it's a very easy setup it's i i liken it a lot to basically how you and i grew up also doing sports cards with our parents and grandparents yeah yeah. and now we have kids that can get into that same thing it's and it's it's nice because Sports are basically every 15 to 20 years, you'll see a boom. Mm -hmm. We had the junk wax boom in the 80s and 90s. We just hit another boom. And we had the boom in the 60s uh, with sports cards. Now, Pokemon's a little bit faster because, sure, our kids are now at the age, you know, where they're probably getting into us. They're in that seven, eight, nine-year-old range where we got into it. Well, we were still into it when we were 16 and the next one came out. Mm Mm-hmm. And we kind of revisited a little bit when it came out again when we were in our mid-20s. So now there's this entirely new generation of people that are growing up with new Pokemon. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you kind of have – it's not like a generational understanding, but it's certainly a generational audience. Yeah. Where – I mean I bought Scarlet and Violet and I'm still playing them. I'm in my mid-30s. I don't care. Those games are awesome. Yeah, the only reason I haven't bought a new one is because I don't have a Nintendo console – capable of but i had gen 1 gen 2 and then i took a break for a while i got the remake of uh gen 1 and then diamond pearl that was like the last one i got maybe one after that but yeah it it's a a decent game series it's just a lightweight rpg you can pick it up put it down it's super easy for people that are familiar with it and it it, it's great content for an lgs yeah absolutely phenomenal anything before i move on to picks Let's hit it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go first because I got some work to do for your pick. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I got to drive and I want to get my shit done. Yeah. So for me, up top, I'm going with War Room. This is a card I've liked for a while from Commander uh, Legends and Baldur's Gate. And it's just a a pretty simple and easy card that I seem to have lost the stocks graph for. So I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) Uh, But basically, War Room is a land. So obviously, it is easy as heck to implement in any one of your commander decks because it just makes colorless and it draws you a card that's why we're here so you look at stocks and the baldur's gate is basically addition basically flat with a a never so slowly increasing line and that's what we're going to try and move into right now is that slow up up tick so war room just again taps for colorless then three tap pay a life equal to the number of colors in your commander's color identity draw a card Now, I forgot about this because I'm a big dumb, and I was like, oh, for whatever reason, artifacts and 
Eldrazi have no color identity, so you can't use it. And I can't even tell you the logic train that I took to get to that one. But you're also looking at somebody who plays it in Toski, and you only need one brain cell to play Toski. If you gave me That's another true. one, I'd start a fire rubbing them together. So, War Room in and of itself, it's a, a pretty low hanging fruit. CK was buying 44, they still are at 225. That's dropped to $2 right now. TCG Player is kind of interesting. And there were 70 listings with a 299 market price. There are now 64 listings at uh, $3.01. But again, we'll cover why this is so low in a moment. And the other side of this, Commander Legends, is pretty well stocked on TCG Player, but not nearly as requested on CK. Again, this, this card's really interesting from... The price perspective on both CK and TCG, and it, it's going to be a story. Now, when I put this on my list originally, CK, uh, back in September, so we're only three months out, a whole quarter away, CK was buying 118 at $3.35, so they dropped quantity buying but upped price, and TCG had about 182 at like 283 I think is what this number is supposed to be. So pretty similar, but half the listings and like a $0.10 cent price increase. Now... This is played in a ridiculous number of decks. Across 1.8 million decks, because it's a land, it's played in 6% of them, which is roughly 110,000 decks overall. Now, that's a nice chunk, but I think it's low when you look at the top commanders on Rec. And the reason for that is they're all 0, 1, 2, and 3 colors for the most part. You do get some 4 and 5s, but it is a little rarer. Obviously, Atraxas up there and Ur-Dragon, uh, Morphon, but that's the minority, not majority. And again, Rec is self-reporting people. These are self-selecting people. But if 110,000 people are telling you that War Room is a playable card, that's a pretty decent number to take into consideration. Now, as far as this is concerned across the format, there's really not much to say about how this card plays within the format because you read it and that's it that's how it plays it's color agnostic it can reading go a card helps explain the card exactly and like of all the of the total number of words they've been putting on cards recently this probably has some of the least so it's color agnostic it can go in every commander deck though there is an inflection point where castle lockthwain becomes a better card in decks that have black in its color identity as like the number of colors in your commander go up and it does exactly what it says it does at a reasonable cost. And for those interested in Castle Lockthwain, the tap ability also costs three. So it is basically the exact same thing. It's just the amount of life you're going to lose is going to be different at that point. Now, we see War Room attached to commanders with, again, zero through three distinct colors in their identity. And I believe that's the sweet spot. That's why there's not a lot of people reporting with four and five color generals, because at four and five, there might not be time to activate this as you have a number of boxes to check in order to get your game plan online. So it might just be too slow for that, or you might need more dedication to color, so you just can't play it. Along with being color agnostic, this is also theme agnostic and can be placed anywhere. And I can't find a reason to not be playing card draw on a land, regardless of whether your pod plays shorter or longer games. It, it is literally free real estate at that point. 
Yeah. Now, this is a question that we talk about all the time in uh, our podcast Discord. How do you define foundational to the format? And is this card foundational to the format? Well, something that's foundational to the format would be play would be able to be played across the entirety of the format, regardless of what you're doing. So, because this card, I believe, really favors decks that are zero through three colors rather than four and five and decks whose game plans are a little simpler i do not think this is foundational to the format or a color or a theme there definitely are decks that cannot support the mana sync while they are getting the footing underneath them and the and uh they play to really engage with the table or they plan to really engage with the table in the mid to late game so they can't really invest in this kind of card while they're getting set up. But any deck that wants to make sure they can have a mid to late game can look at this. And so that should, that's kind of where a foundational element is short for this card. If you could really be playing it at all stages of the game in any color combination you want, and it would make sense, it would not harm your plan, it would help, that would make it foundational. But because you can't really do that, it's lacking in that regard, it could be a little too slow, it doesn't provide a color like Castle Lockwain, it does not make it foundational to the format. Now, moving ahead, we're gonna get to the interesting data points around price. Now, this is a bit confusing as CK seems to have flipped their buy quantity from zeros on the Baldur's Gate to zeros on Commander Legends, despite being almost sold out of both, if their exposed quantity is to be believed, and they had under 10 of each of them. Currently, this is selling at approximately 800 copies across Legends and Baldur's Gate per month when looking at Nearman only, 550 Baldur's Gate and 250 per month CMR, respectively. There are now 64 total Baldur's Gate listings left across all conditions and 295 total Commander Legends listings across all conditions. And if Velo stays steady, we'll see the CLB demand spill into CMR, putting pressure there. And once some of the quote-unquote anchors are removed, we'll see the price climb pretty steadily. At the moment, MTG Mint Direct is anchoring the Commander Legends price to $3.64 with 438 near mint copies, which won't meet current monthly demand if things were to shift immediately, but I doubt this is exactly what happens. No. It'll, it'll, if demand spikes to a point where everything just hard shifts, we're going to see a run on it. We're going to see MTG Mint Direct raise their price, and thus the anchor continues to float upwards, which is a little ironic to think about when you're thinking about a fucking anchor. Right. Now, to be a bit more prescriptive, I believe this is a six-month hold if you're looking to out this to buy a list, but if you want to sell into the open market, you'll have to keep an eye on that peg that MTG Mint Direct is setting, and I do not know when that's going to change because even before before them on the list when I was looking the other day, there was another vendor with several hundred <laughs> copies of uh, the CMR version. So there are a lot of copies to burn through. But if you want to set your price to sell, you're going to have to look at, you have to keep your eyes on mint and price below them to move your product. You should still be able to get out at a profit though. Yeah. Now, reprint equity, the opportunity to put these in, again, zero, one, two, and three color commander precons is pretty high, though the opportunity cost increases the color density increases, so I wouldn't expect these in every deck. The same conversation from up top. 
Now, Watsi also seems to want to use the land slot to get more multicolored land support into the format, so I don't think we would see this in every mono and two color deck in the future, but I could see this in a white or red deck as black and blue have an easier time just drawing cards without discard, so no rummage, yeah. etc. And in theory, card draw is outside of Greed's identity, but we see how well that's been working. You know, look at Utoski and Return of the Huntsman, whatever that card was from uh, yep. Eldrain. So that's kind of where I'd expect it. I'd look at, I'd be worried about reprints in a red and a white deck because they're monocolored and generally the two colors that have problems drawing cards over time without uh, with discard because that's what red's thing is i draw and i discard or i discard and then i draw whichever way they want to do it rummage versus loot and white really only has a handful of ways to do it there's that like three or four mana <clears throat> spell where like you and an opponent draw three cards i can't remember the name of it right now not to trade secrets. No, that's the blue one. Richard yeah. from um, Goldfish loves playing it. it oh, it's, yeah. It's a meme on their channel. Yeah. But that's basically what you have. You've got, like, Faithless Looting as a premier draw spell in red and that card in white. And th so this is where I think it would slot. Not black, not blue. I hope to God not green. But that would be my worry. That said, demand would, should well outpace supply. Sorry, supply yeah. should well... No, I was right. Demand should Demand well, well outpace supply. Yeah. Yes. Now, by quantity, honestly, I've got about a dozen of these for a mixture of play and trade, and I'd be happy rounding out that trade quantity to an even dozen. I've moved copies when they were in cases, and I found it easy to move them in trade. There is really no reason to not have somewhere between a play set and four play sets. I think that is an easy number to move into that's basically sitting at like $45 right now. You don't have to worry too much about picking these up from multiple vendors. A lot of people have anywhere between two and five copies. The Gaming Co. has 130. You know, it works out well. Yeah. I think it's an easy to acquire card. It's easy to move. And I think it might be actually a kind of overlooked card if your locals really only stay local, meaning they're not the kind of people that self-report to EDH rec. Yeah. Because not they, they opened it, in the draft or they've seen people play it locally but they forgot what the card was but once they see it in the binder bang there it is or it's in the case easy yep. and i don't think there's any way this doesn't say stay highly liquid over time the only way it's going to stop is when demand stops and i don't see that happening because this is so easy to play this yeah. isn't soul ring levels of playability but it is very easy to play I think it's really solid, and you touched on something I thought was really important, is uh, the colors that it's most relevant to, is that being color agnostic, it does slide into the worst colors for draw. Uh, it gives you an option to just, hey, I'm going to, I got it all. I can draw cards now. I can pay three colorless and one life or two life or three life, whatever the case may be, and just draw a card. Yep. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that this card is, like you said, it's not quite foundational but it's foundational approximate yeah, because yeah. It, it is so relevant because sometimes you do just want an extra draw spell that may tap for life. And you know what? How often do you end up hellbent and you're like, man, I really wish I could draw more than one card a turn. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a way you can. Exactly. Maybe even multiple turns, depending on what your deck is. Yeah. Because if you're in green and just drawing three a card every person's turn, 
because you have a seed born or something out, oh, great. Yeah. I guess I get to do that then. Or, or anecdotally, I just put together, like, I don't want to call it group hug braids because I, it's not the case. It's not mono black control and it's not group slug braids. Yeah. But I knew because I had Cabal Coffers and Cabal Stronghold and Urborg that I'm just going to be able to dump my hand at any point in time. So yeah. I need to be able to continue to draw cards from any means necessary. So that's yep. all, like, the enchantments, etc. They get it going alongside War Room and Castle Lothwain, which I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Endless Atlas. There's a number yeah. of options out there like that. And this one does help you by being color agnostic. If you have a bunch of mana and you want something to do with it, well, turn it into more cards. Yeah, exactly. Options Solid. are options, and card draw wins games. It sure does. Uh, speaking of cards that are not quite foundational, but at least foundational approximate, I have kind of an interesting pick this week. Yes. Uh, I am going for an active secret lair. Uh, specifically, the special guest Kozindan, another story, foil edition specifically. So... You'll have about a week to order this from when this episode goes live, because the release date is December 19th. Uh, why this secret lair? Well, it's got two cards in it. Demonic Consultation and Winds of Change, mm -hmm. which are their first-time foil printings. Uh, why these cards? Well, a prime example to go back to is the secret lair Mystic Remora. If you take a look at the stocks graph for the foil secret lair Mystic Remora, you can see that it's held a pretty steady price point of about $50. Now, Mystic Remora is a card that, correct me if I'm wrong, basically is foundational to the format. Yeah. Or as close to foundational as you can get without actually being foundational if you want to consider Rhystic Study foundational. I was going to say, if you start your blue deck and the first two cards aren't in order, Rhystic Study and Mystic Remora, that should only happen because you don't own them. Yeah. I They go in the deck every single time uh now taking a look at that graph now if we compare it to the graph for the ice age mystic remora and we take a look at so let's see it was august ish last year was when the secret layer version came out so we can see where yeah yeah it was sitting at about seven dollars and then the secret layer drops and the secret layer is like 8x the price for the foil because it's the first foil printing. Uh, at $40, this secret layer seems insane. Yes. Because Demonic Consultation is the CEDH card in a new first-time foil printing. Mm -hmm. Well, TCG Low right now is, let's see, uh, $13 on that card. $13. I'm not saying the foil is going to be nine times that price. But to say that the foil demonic consultation isn't going to be worth at least $40 seems kind of strange to me. I, I just don't think that happens. Okay, this is uh, what I thought it was. I'm going to bring up consultations for people that have never seen this card because it, it obviously is not reserved list. They're reprinting it. Uh, one of the interesting things I noticed when I just looked this card up on TCG Player, TCG Player has tips now for cards. When did that happen? Uh, they've been sending out merger information about with Binder and Channel, and so I would guess it happens sometime along there. You gotta compete with um, 
wreck and stuff like that. That's fair, yeah. yeah. So I brought up consultation for people to read. For those, I don't want to say who are uninitiated, this is, as you like to call it, one of the two-card Montes with Thassa's Oracle. So you cast yeah. Thassa's Oracle, you put the trigger on the stack, you cast the Demon Demonic Consultation, name a card that isn't in your deck, whoops, there goes my library, resolve. Thoracle wins. Thoracle wins, even if it's removed. So both yeah. both Consultation and Oracle do have to resolve. Well, Thoracle's already resolved with the trigger's resolving. Consultation yeah. has to then resolve, and then that's it. So... Bonus points if you name you are already dead and it's not in your deck. Oh, yeah. Uh, flavor win. Yes, yeah. But that card's insane. One of the other things in here is, of course, Winds of Change. Change. This is a card that hasn't been reprinted since, I believe, it's 4th edition-ish? 5th. 5th, yes, 5th edition. We split and, the difference. I was going to say 6th, so. Yeah. Uh, and sits at around 7 to $10 usually. Yeah. Well, yet again first foil printing now the thing that winds of change has going for it is casual edh appeal uh which i think is significantly better yeah for the price and liquidity because if i just play a wheels deck if i play a group hug deck if i mm -hmm. play nekusar if i just want to draw cards in red yeah i'm just gonna winds of change mm -hmm. it goes in the deck but and then What's the blue one? The blue ones of change. They've windfall? Already... Yes, it's Windfall. Yeah, which I picked two weeks ago, I yes. think, for the promo version. Yep, they patched Winds of Change, made it cost two more, and turned to blue. Yeah, and turned Ooh. to... Oh, well, look, the better version is blue. Who knew? Uh, and then you have three other cards that are just absolute gas as well. Hybridization, Sarah Ascendant, and less so Leonor Elves. Uh, but at $40, that secret layer seems a really good pickup. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying max out your quantity at 10, but I think it's an easy opportunity to spend 40 bucks and make your money back easily. In terms of timeline, obviously, who knows when this thing's going to ship? Uh, but hopefully soon. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's uh, it's not so the coin flip one, so you got that going for you. Hopefully, it's sooner than later. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, do you want to park that much money for that amount of time? Uh, I just thought it seemed like an incredibly good opportunity because lately, some of the secret layers have been pretty lackluster in terms of like having a financial return mm -hmm. with liquidity. Yeah. Because I mean, the Phyrexian secret layer was a banger, out of the park, absolutely insane. Uh, this seems like the next closest thing to that that we've had since the Phyrexian Secret Lair. Yep. Uh, not to mention just the art style is really cool. Yeah. It, I like the pick because it brings back the idea of the fact that Secret Lairs can actually be worth money when you pick the right one. It's something that I don't know if we talked about here or is the podcast Discord. And basically, you got to find the right game skin that's going yeah. to be worth the money. And you know for a while they were just kind of dead if you weren't able to move them the first weekend of release if your shipping was yep. slow and you got them on week two or week three your plan was to flip there's a really good chance that you weren't able to make anything on it but now we're coming back to a point in time where the cards are a little more interesting they're carrying a little more weight financially and there's opportunity to flip these in the long term like there was back at the beginning run and i don't yep. want to steal the thunder of this one but one of the ones we have been discussing the podcast from a question and I, uh, a thought I'd experiment is just what is the price of 
Megatron as Blightsteel Colossus going to be? Yeah. We know the Optimus Prime V Megatron edition is $40 in regular, and it is, sorry, $40 in foil, $30 in regular, and no matter what version of Blightsteel Colossus you look at, even in foil, that is still only two-thirds the cost of the Mirrodin Besieged Blightsteel, of the Double Masters Blightsteel, but it is about 35% of the Showcase Blightsteel yep. Colossus. Now, if you buy the foil one, you're looking at prices that are closer to $100 on the resale for the foil, so where does this sit? Honestly, I don't know. It's very difficult. The multipliers are pretty standard. It's like 1.35 to 1.5 uh, from addition to addition and from foil to not within the yeah. within their appropriate additions. That's what I kind of would apply here because we have that knowledge in front of us. But at the end of the day, is that Megatron going to be worth 40? I'd say at a minimum, probably closer to 60 or 70. And that just carries the weight of two clunkers. I don't understand why Optimus Prime is Darksteel Colossus, why he literally loses to Megatron. He loses to Megatron always. Didn't Megatron kill him in the cartoon? In the movie. In the movie, yeah. With which we don't have Orson Welles in the secret lair, so I really don't want anything to do with it. it that's fair. And then uh, a whole doubling cube is the all spark. Yeah. Like cool, whatever. So those are kind of duds. Uh, doubling cube, I think, does have an actual price, but Dark Steel Colossus does not. That card was immediately outclassed by yeah Blight Steel. So yep. the entire weight of the secret layer is going to be a Megatron. Eh, doubling cube is like fifteen ish dollars, but anecdotally from conversations that I've seen around this nobody actually knows anybody that plays double ink cube it's like no. friends don't let friends play mesmeric fiend i don't know who plays <laughs> double ink cube i remember seeing it, was... it like in packs getting open yeah i've never seen it exist outside it, of opening a pack there's definitely some goofy combos with it i will say that but at oh, the end sure. of the day if doubling, yeah, if doubling cube is going to be a crisp ten dollar bill out of this let's just say that the fall the floor falls off from underneath it then you know that means the foil version now costs you thirty dollars out of pocket and megatron as blightsteel colossus worth the standard amount of sixty dollars puts you net 30 on the just yeah. foil edition alone and that's not even giving Megatron the standard 1-5 multiplier that we see, right? Yeah. So I think this round of secret layers, not I think the one you're looking at probably has the best value financially of the bunch of these because there are so many cards within that one that are worth money, but this is another one that's going to be out there. And I don't think it's worth a pick in the long run, but it is just worth the quick discussion that, hey, you can buy a Blightsteel Colossus for two-thirds the price of what, yeah. in foil, for two-thirds the price of what a non-foil costs you and get two extra cards. It's pretty solid, it turns out. Yes, yeah, exactly. You know, I mentioned, like, the, the thought experiment was, why is it going to cost so much? Or why do we, is it going to cost what we think it's going to cost? And the answer is, like, some intersection of Gen 1 fans and Magic players are going to come together and, yep. like, buy an amount of these that, that's going to make it worth some weird amount yeah. that I can't predict. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was, like, jeez, oh, I don't want to say, like, an easy 100 to 150, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'd say that. I wouldn't either. Especially because the art's kind of cool. It is one. actually really cool. Yeah, it very, it's very Gen 1. Uh, everything's very blocky, and we will never get Megatron as that damn laser gun, but a tank is close. It is close, but, but we can hope. Yes, exactly. So, unless you got anything else, 
I think we're going to call it quits for this recording. As always, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. If you want to reach us on Twitter while it still exists, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. And we'll see you next week. Fucking One Piece shit. Fucking love that game.